Uh, we're continuing our series today in uh, in First John. And uh, today, well, as I said, um, every, every week, John kind of tells us the truth about the universe, and then that kind of puts us in a spot where we have to respond. We have to, like, we have to say, okay, well, if that's, if that's reality, who am I? Where do I fit with that? Do I believe this? Am I for this? Am I against this? And that kind of puts us, um, we, we have to respond. Um, today, he's going to, John's going to be looking at uh, some of the the big issues are the, the people, the kinds of people that cause disaster in churches and disaster in our lives. It doesn't necessarily have to be in church. There are, you'll see there's secular analogs to each one of these types of people that, that, that John points out. Um, but every single one of them, when, they're, when, when, when we become like these people or, or we find them in our communities, our workplaces, uh, they, in, our, in our church, they, they wreck stuff. And so John's like, here, be on the lookout for these types of folks. I like to think of them um, as the usual suspects. Uh, if you guys have, I mean, you shouldn't watch it because the language is just atrocious. Like, it's, it's, it's one of the foulest, like, language movies ever. But one of my dad's favorites, uh, he loved it because he said, the usual suspects is the kind of movie where you have to pay attention. Most movies that we see are like Transformers where it doesn't matter if you come in at the beginning, the end, the middle, you know what's going on. There's good robots, there's bad robots, they're all fighting each other. It's pretty simple. Usual Suspects doesn't work like that. Usual Suspects has lots of twists and turns, and if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. The premise of the movie is that uh, there's a crime in New York, I can't remember what it is, like I said, 1995, it's been a while since I've seen it. Um, but they, they don't have any suspects, and so what they do is they, they, they go and they find all of the usual suspects, the types of people that you expect to be committing these crimes. They have long rap sheets, they're well-known in the criminal community, they're, they're pretty much, they're obvious, they're out there, and so they just round them up, and they find these five guys, and they say, surely one of them is responsible for this crime. Unfortunately for the police, when these five guys get together, they're all like, I didn't do it, did you do it? No, I didn't do it. Hey, why don't we all get together and do a really big crime? They're like, all right. And so the police actually put together a super criminal squad. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens. John's going to be looking at the usual suspects for the crimes of church and the crimes of our community. And so let's, uh, let's, 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 watch, let's look at the text together and, and see what he says. He says, This is the message we have heard from him, are announcing to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness. If we say, and really the Greek here is like if someone says or if anyone says. So if, if we say, I, we have union. I, we're, we're tight with God. We're close to God. While we're walking in darkness, well then we lie and we're not doing the truth. And that literally is doing the truth. For, for John, the truth is not something you just know. It's something that you walk in or you practice. But if we're lo- walking in the light as he, Jesus, or God himself is in the light, we have union, we're sharing with one another, and so the blood of Jesus, his son, cleans us from all sin, cleanses us, makes us pure again. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth isn't in us, but if we confess our sins, the one who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and clean up all our disorder. Uh, older translations, if you're following in the Pew Bible, uh, it's going to say all unrighteousness. Um, but as we, we'll talk about in just a second, but as you've seen, for, for John, um, the pro, what sin really is, is it's stuff that's out of whack with the way that God has designed the world. And so anything that is that is disordered. It's unrighteous. 
And he ends with this. He says, if we say we've never sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, at first glance, none of this probably sounds like it applies to our lives or the reality that we live in. When was the last time you met someone they are like, I have union with God? <laughs> I've, I've never encountered anyone who told me that. I've also never met anyone who said, I have no sin. I've certainly never met anyone who said, I've never sinned. Part of that is because we live in a post-Christian culture and the language of sin itself is, it's, no one uses it anymore. Um, even in the church, we don't actually say sin that much because people get uncomfortable. And so in order to make sure everyone's happy, we only talk about the happy things. Let's take a closer look. Let's see what John has in mind. This is the truth he's going to tell us about the universe. God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. God is light. That's a metaphor. Uh, God's not literally light. Um, although maybe God's like light, and maybe our experience of God is, li- is like light, but it, it's a metaphor that, that John's trying to help us think about what sin is, right? Because God's the opposite of that. God is light. There's no darkness, sin in him. Well, in the ancient world, the ancient world's different than our world, primarily, not primarily, but in one of the major ways is there's no electricity in the ancient world. They had torches, candles. And so for ancient people, going outside at night was really scary. Um, it's still creepy for us. I got a picture of going out, you know, this is your, your road at night. And that's pretty creepy. I wouldn't want to be on that road alone. Um, certainly without, you know, someone who has military training and a weapon. John, that's you. John's going to be carrying to protect me. Now imagine if we just took those lights out. Right? Let's imagine that, and, and suddenly what was, was pretty dark is now extremely dark. Contrast to the road in the daylight. Right? This, okay, I don't feel the need to have John Harnett walking right beside me, you know, stroking his, his new pistol. Now I feel comfortable. I'm good. Ancient people understood that what light does is it shows you the way. Light keeps you from getting lost. Light keeps you out of danger. And so when John says God is light, in him there is no darkness at all, what he's saying is God uh, shows us exactly how we ought to be, how things are, how they ought to be lived. God shows us the path. God makes sure there's no danger on either side. God keeps us from confusion. If we're living with God, we, we, the, the walking is easy. And that's the first thing in your note sheets. Sinning, The opposite of that is living out of keeping with God's design. It's living in the darkness. It's confusing. It's dangerous. You don't know where to go. You don't know how to operate. Uh, You might think you do, but you don't. And so you're constantly in danger of hurting yourself, hurting others, and being wounded uh, by the enemy. And so with that in mind, so John's kind of set that up, said that's what sin is. Now here's three usual suspects, and we're going to stretch it out to five. Um, but the, the, he gives three kind of examples of things that, that people say. The first one is this. Someone's going to say, we have union with God. Someone says, I've got... No one says that. But, but people do nowadays say things like, I feel really close to God. Have you heard this? Like, so you're talking to somebody and... Like, so how's it going? I was like, oh, man, I just, I felt, I feel so close to God. I was on this hike the other day, and I saw, you know, 
like this beautiful uh, forest beneath me, and and the and the squirrels were climbing up my my trousers, and I just I could tell that. <laughs> Did I say trousers? <laughs> what? <laughs> Pants? Tra- tra- okay, uh, all right, that's good. Okay, uh, and, and I, man, I just, I felt, I felt so close to God, right? Well, that's really what this means. I, I, we have union with God. We're sharing God. We're connected to God. This is that word koinonia last uh, couple of weeks. We've said koinonia uh, for John means like a sharing or a connection. And so someone's going to come around and be like, I'm connected to God. I'm sharing with God. And yet that person's walking in darkness. They don't think they are. They don't know they are. They believe that, they're, that, hey, me and God were simpatico, but actually the truth is I'm walking around in darkness. And these people aren't doing the truth. They don't even know it. They're lost. But notice what John says. He says, but if we are walking in the light as he himself is in the light, we have what? Union, connection, deep sharing with who? One another. One another. And so the blood of Jesus is cleaning us from our sin. So we might, so there's going to be people in your life who are going to come and be like, oh yeah, me and God, we're tight. And you might be wondering whether or not they're, they're telling the truth. They might be wondering whether or not they're telling the truth. Well, John says the first thing to look at is who are they with? Which introduces the first of our usual suspects. I call him the spiritualist. Yeah. Any man buns here? I'm thinking about it. I think when you have a man bun, it signals to people that you say things like namaste. (laughs) That you've practiced some transcendental meditation. You're very calm, at peace with the world. And then the back tattoo. I'd I'd like the neck tattoo. I think that that would really suit me. The man bun and the neck tattoo. The spiritualist is the type of person, you've met these people, and they're, and they're, and they're like, oh yeah, man, I just, I just, I'm so in touch with the divine, bro. Like, like I, I, I can just sense, you know, God just washing over me as I'm catching that wave. Bro, you don't even, you know, I, I, I went, I tried to organize religion once. It was okay, you know, but it was so tight, man. It was so, so I just felt like I was wrapped up in all these rules, bro. And then when I went out and I, start, I started just communing um, with God, and now, like, my mind has been expanded, bro. Cool. The interesting thing about these spiritualists, and you'll meet them and you'll know them, is that you, all you have to do is, is ask them, well, who, who speaks into you? your life when you're curious about God? Who do you, you know, who, who is it that you worship or what's your community like and how, and, 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 and how do they inform what you think and, and how do they, I mean, do, every single time you're going to find out that a spiritualist doesn't have a community like that. They've got lots of friends but they don't have anyone that's speaking into their... They don't have union. They don't, they're not sharing their life with other people. Because frankly, that's messy and uncomfortable. And man, it can really harsh your vibe. That's the first thing uh, in your note sheets. If you are a spiritualist or you know a spiritualist, know this. You can't truly know God if you don't know God's people. 
If you're not with God's people, you, don't, you might think you know all kinds of things, but you're wrong. Isn't that odd? It, it, you, you, we'll see it in a second. It's not about knowing facts. You might know lots of facts about God, but you don't know God. Because the primary place where you're going to experience and know God is in and through his people. Well, that's a, the spiritualist is usually someone who's outside of the community of faith. But John also knows that there are uh, people who are within the community of faith who are similar. So let's look at the text again, the same bit. We have union with God. I'm super close to God, right? Um, but I'm actually walking in darkness and I don't know it. How could that be happening in the church, Right? Well, it can happen in the church, and the same issue comes up. The people who say this, they might, you know, be with us some, from time to time or whatever, and they might say that they have union with God, uh, but you'll notice that they don't have any deep relationships with anybody here. Um, and I have a picture of the ultimate example of this, Sting. Alex, you may not be familiar with the work of the... What year were you born? Yeah. I can't hear what he said. How, when, what year were you born? 2007. Yeah, you definitely don't know who Sting is. Alex, let me tell you. Sting, in 1982, Sting was the lead singer of the biggest rock band in the world. They were called The Police. And they were great. It was a, fun, a fusion of funk, of reggae, of rock of probably a little bit of jazz, um, but with a, with a pop sensibility. Like, incredible band, three-piece. It was Sting and two other guys. No one knows their names. Do, do you, you know their names? What are they? Stuart Copeland and Anthony Summers. What? Andy Summers, right, okay. Sorry, Andy, if you're watching... They're probably dead. It's like, no one knows who these guys are. <laughs> anyway, in 1982, Sting was the lead singer of the band. And Sting was like, man, I've got it all figured out. I, you know what I don't need? Andy Summers and Stuart Copeland. These guys are a waste of space. And so Sting went out on his own. And he created nothing but garbage for the rest of his career. Because Sting, he was like, he was like... <laughs> What did he play bass? Bass is a joke. That is a not, that's like the, it's the, Josh, dude, it's the, it's the most useless instrument in a rock band. We can replace you with a sample. It's not hard. (laughs) That's what Sting thought. He thought, I just, I don't need these, these losers. And so he went, and like I said, I mean, he had one song that was okay, Fields of Gold, but it was mostly um, the production that saved it. Um, but, but those, the, the real talent um, were Stuart Copeland and Andy Summers. Sting was just the pretty face. But he thought, I can do this by myself. Christians, we actually have um, a very similar thing. We, we, we think, well, if I just know the facts, you know, about... God, and I can tell you about who Jesus was, and I can do, you know what, I, I, do I really need to show up on Sunday? I mean, think about this, and for the, if this hits a little home, a little close to home for those of you watching virtually, I'm sorry. Uh, you don't, do you need to be here? 
Uh, right now, there's a live stream on YouTube. It's in HD. Like, so it's pretty good. Production values ain't bad. You can hear what the leader guy has to say. You can listen to the beautiful music. You can fast forward through the announcements. When you start to feel uncomfortable, you can just turn it off. It's pretty rad. What John thinks is he thinks, if you're not with the people, you're not really close to God. Part of what you're doing here is you're getting to know them. You're being shaped by them, and you're shaping them. It's when you get into these messy relationships with the people around you that the Holy Spirit begins to move and work. And that's when you start to get close to God. And this is especially important right now because we, uh, especially in the post-COVID world, because it is true, like there's no doubt that you can get all of the content at church, and really almost every church at this point, at home. You can basically do church by podcast. If you are doing church by podcast, uh, we do have a link for um, giving at our website. So for those of you who are there, just maybe cough up five, ten dollars uh, every time you listen. I'm really trying to get that, uh, that helicopter. Okay. The, the truth of the matter is, is that we gather um, here not because you need to know some more stuff. Although you might. We gather here because God, God deserves our worship. And we need each other to know who he is and what he's like. All right, the next uh, usual suspect. Look at, what, uh, look at what John says. He says, if we say we have no sin. If someone comes along and says, I am, I'm sinless, I'm good. We deceive ourselves, the truth's not in us. person who says that's nonsense. says, however, if we confess our sins, the one who's faithful and just will forgive us our sins and clean up all our dis- dis- disorder or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have no sin. Again, not something that people say, but if we remember, remember that sin really is just being out of alignment, sort of, with the way God set things up, right? Maybe that makes a little more sense. So if someone's not a religious person, they might, you might say something like this. I'm, I'm fully in keeping with the way the universe is set up, right? Like, the, the, I've found the Tao, right? Taoism is kind of a, it's a, Eastern religious belief that there's a, there's a way the universe is, and our job is to be um, in sync with it or in, in harmony with um, the contours of how the world actually is. And so uh, a person like this might, they probably started out at some point in life, and that, that wasn't the case, right? They started out, and things weren't in alignment. They, they, they had to be a kick against the goads. They made mistakes. They failed, but they learned from their failures, pulled themselves up from their bootstraps, and now are wearing a human suit because they're actually a lizard man testifying before Congress meet the secular success. Mark Zuckerberg. If you're trying to fool us, Mark, you should have chosen a better lizard suit because that one is very much... Yeah, anyway. If you've seen the social uh, network, it's pretty accurate, mostly accurate, kind of telling of Mark Zuckerberg's story. Uh, Zuckerberg, you know, he, when he was a young man, he was <laughs> excluded, rejected. He, he hit, hit failure at every turn. People didn't like him. He had a rough time. But then he invented the Facebook. And now 
Mark Zuckerberg is comfortable sitting before congressmen and senators. All eyes on him. And he's like, if you would just let me control all of your information, the world would be a better place because I've got this figured out now. If you just let me tinker with your algorithms and stay out of my way, I will make your lives great. I figured it out. I, I went through the tough stuff. I experienced the failures and the setbacks. And now I'm fully in keeping with the way the world ought to be. And I'm ready to share that with you because I'm such a benevolent overlord. Of course, it's not just Mark Zuckerberg. We all know uh, people like this in our lives, people who really have shown that they were able to learn from their mistakes and, and they, they had their failures and they had, and now they've come to a point where they've, they see I'm the one who's got it figured out and really what the world needs is more people like me or at least people to listen to me. Did you hear what John said? He said, he said if, you, if you think that you've got it figured out, if you're on the way, you're, you don't have any sin, you're, you're like in, in line and aligned with how the universe ought to be. Well, if that's what you think, you're wrong, you're, you're deceiving yourself, you're a liar. But here's what you ought to be doing. Instead, instead of thinking that way, confess your sin. Confess that you aren't on the straight and narrow. Recognize that that about yourself. And it creates this very odd paradox, right, uh, in, in Christian life, and, and it, where, where if, you, if you think you've got it, you don't. The only time that you're close to having it is when you don't think you have it, if that makes sense. So next thing in your, your note sheets, it's the, the, you won't truly have it together until you know you don't have it together. It's not going to be until Mark Zuckerberg wakes up one day and realizes, wow, all I did was make a website. That's it. Oh, and by the way, that website's responsible for like 43% of the hatred in the world. Good job, man. It won't be until he wakes up and realizes, wow, maybe I don't have it all figured out. Maybe the Congress people and the peons who use my website, maybe they have something to teach me. It won't be until that happens that Mark Zuckerberg can actually get it together. He thinks he's got it together. He's wrong. It won't be until he realizes that, that he might have a chance to actually get it together. And there is a Christian version of this. There's a church version of this. Everybody's favorite. Let's look at the text really quick. Here, what, what kind of person is, I have no sin. Well, no Christian's going to walk around like, I'm sinless. That's not going to happen. But, you've been around religious people long enough, you might have met some that, you know, really seem like they have it together. They got money. Great family. Popular. Extremely good looking. They walk in, eh? Got that winning smile. But you get the sense that maybe they're just looking down on you a little bit. Let me introduce you to the smug saint.
The smug saint is a person who, of course, they're not going to say, oh, I don't have any sin. They're not going to say that. In fact, a lot of times they'll, they'll be like, wow, let me tell you. When I was younger, I was a real mess. I've got a story of redemption. I was this and that, and I was consumed by this. But, but at a certain point, the Lord, you know, opened my eyes and he saved me. And now, look at me. Look at how I've changed. Now I finally have it the way it's supposed to be. I've learned everything about how to live according to, to God's way, and I'm doing it. And boy, my life is awesome. Interestingly, uh, people who are like this tend to be uh, pretty, I mean, we call it the smug saint. There, there tends to be a, a certain level of arrogance of, I kind of know, what I'm, I know, what, I know what's up. And really, if you start to investigate the life of the smug saint, what you're going to find is that um, really there's probably a whole lot of, um, of darkness and shadow uh, that's clinging to them. But they've found a way, or we, if we are smug saints, have found a way to justify those things, to make it seem like those are actually good things. A classic example in uh, the contemporary 21st century Western church is wealth. Uh, we are blessed to li- be living in a mostly capitalist society where it's very possible for um, us to make a very decent living and to live very well off. It's very possible. And not only that, but people who are well off tend to be, they tend to do well in church, right? Because like the leader guy's like, man, I need a, I need some new lights. I need a new building. Let's see, I need to make some calls. Who am I going to call? Am I going to call, uh, let's see here, um, Tony? Probably not. He doesn't have what I need. Um, I need to find somebody who really... Lou, I mean, yeah, he's double-dipping. He's got like six jobs and a pension. But that's just, that's not enough to really get what I need. I know. And then I remember that person who can write the checks. And it's very possible for that person to start to enjoy and really just, you know, be, honestly, that person can become very greedy, and yet no one would know it. That person wouldn't even know it. They might not even realize it. And yet it's possible for them to be walking around, I've figured it out, I'm the best Christian, and yet there's actually this darkness, this shadow that's glommed on. So what does John say? He says, he says, look, if you think you've got it figured out, if you think that you're basically sinless, if you're living life the way, you think you're living life the way God wants you to live, I tell you this, confess your sin. Confess. What does that mean? It's, it's, uh, if you know the words, the, 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 the words of Jesus, Jesus at one point says, he's talking about a, you know, the, the person who like picks out the speck in everybody else's eye. He says, before you pick the speck out in someone else's eye, pull out the log that's stuck in yours. What, 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 what Jesus is saying and what John is echoing is what you ought to be doing is not thinking, wow, I'm so glad God saved me and I've done such a great job. Instead, you should be looking inward and being like, what's still screwed up here? And if you have that basic attitude of I'm a mess and I need to figure that out and I need to be looking and, and on guard, if that's your basic attitude towards life, then you actually will be the, the, the holy person that you would like to be. It's the next thing in your, your note sheets. The smug saint, you aren't truly holy if you can't see how unholy you are. 
It's interesting. So you notice so far, so John, he's, he's calling out these usual suspects. And he'll say, oh, here's the problem. They're doing this. What they ought to be doing is this, right? So um, the, the, you know, the spiritualist, the problem with that guy is he's, he's a lone wolf, right? Solar artist, lone wolf. And, and what they really ought to be doing is trying to get along and get involved, embedded in the lives of the, of the people around them. And if they did that, then, then they would recognize that they're not as close to God as they think they are. Similarly, with uh, the secular success and the smug saint, they think they've got it figured out. If they would just look inward and recognize the places in their life where they're not, they don't have it figured out. There but for the grace of God go I. They're, they're right on the edge and they don't even realize it. Or maybe they're consumed by some sin that they, they've justified themselves. If they could do that, then they would be back on the path and they would be where they ought to be. The last uh, usual suspect doesn't get that solution, all right? It doesn't get that, here's what you ought to do. The last usual suspect is someone who says, I've never sinned. I've never sinned. And anyone who says this, uh, John says, uh, makes God a liar. Now, it's hard for us to imagine uh, someone who says, I have never sinned. Uh, what, I mean, especially if you're, if you're a church-going person, you're a Christian, uh, you recognize that the basis of our faith is the recognition that we're all sinners. And that only God's grace in Christ can save us from that. But there are actually people out there, I don't think they're usually in the church, I think they're outside of the church, who actually believe this. I have an example of one here. Uh, this is Peter Singer. I call him the subjectivist. Uh, Peter Singer is a, uh, he's 75 years old. He is a tenured professor at Princeton. He is often called the most influential uh, ethical philosopher alive. He's, um, he's the guy who uh, is the most, he's, he knows the most about morals and how we ought to live. Interestingly, Peter Singer is a vegan uh, because he believes that the most important thing in life is maximizing the universal amount of pleasure and happiness in the world and minimizing the amount of pain and suffering. And he knows that killing cows uh, is pain and suffering, and so it's on us as human beings not to eat meat, because every time we do that, we're creating more suffering in the world. And so anybody here who is a meat eater, Peter Singer looks at you and says, you're basically a murderer. He also says that um, if someone uh, is, has very low cognitive function, that it's okay to just kill them. Because they're obviously not as capable of experiencing um, happiness as normal functioning human beings. He believes that um, we should be able to uh, slaughter babies up until the age of two or three. Um, because up until that point, they, um, they, they don't have a sense of self. And so they're incapable of having real genuine happiness. And if we do it in a, in a very, you know, safe and controlled manner, they, they won't feel any pain, they'll just, so if you don't like your two-year-old, and your two-year-old is a problem, you should just be able to, and that's fine, it's okay. He thinks that when uh, people get too old, um, that we should uh, euthanize them, when they're no longer of benefit to society, um, because they're no longer capable of having the same, um, you know, joy and happiness uh, as as someone who's in their 40s. And so when you, it, it's difficult to know what age it is, but you can tell when someone's lost it, right? 
You can tell when they're no longer worth anything. And when they get to that point, it's best probably just to get rid of them. Most influential moral philosopher alive today, Peter Singer. The reason Peter Singer thinks the things that he thinks is because deep down, I mean, he, uh, his parents um, escaped Nazi Germany. Um, they're Jewish. Um, and they moved to Australia. He was born in 1946. Uh, so he, he's native-born Australian, uh, but his parents um, were Jewish people. But the experience of the Holocaust and Nazi Germany caused them to reject all faith. So Singer was raised in a, as an atheist. And from Singer's perspective, there's no truth out there. There's only you and what you make the truth. Right? There's no God. There's no absolute right or wrong. There's no morality. There's no intrinsic value in any person. There's nothing. All there is is happiness and sadness. And he just arbitrarily decided, well, we should maximize happiness and minimize sadness. There's really no reason for that other than, I guess, makes him happy. Peter Singer is the kind of guy who, who says, well, no, 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 there is no light. I'm the light. There's no path except the path I make. There's no truth. There's only me and what I make the truth. Did you notice that when people like this, he can say, I've never sinned because he is the light. He is the path. There is no standard to which Peter and Singer needs to follow. He just is. He's perfect. Always has been. Do you notice that John doesn't come up with some solution, something you can say to Peter Singer, right? It's not like the smug saint where it's like, confess your sins, bro. It's not like the spiritualist where it's like, get with the people, man. No, for Peter Singer, there's nothing to say other than this person's nuts, they're a liar, and stay far away from them. And if that person infiltrates your community of faith, you will be train wrecked. Because there's no outside guiding factor. There's no limiting factor to what this person believes is or isn't good. And God help you if that person is the most influential moral philosopher in your country. It's the last thing you're no cheese for the subjectivist. You can't truly know the light until you realize you've always been in the dark. Until Peter Singer wakes up one day and realizes that his life is absolutely consumed by darkness, that he can't see it all, that he's wandering around, banging into things, smashing, destroying. Until he realizes that there's no hope. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I one of the usual suspects? Do I have a tendency towards being one of these usual suspects? Everybody here is drawn to one of these things in some way or another. Maybe you want to just go out and do it on your own. You don't need the people of faith. Personally, if, if, I'm, if I'm being brutally honest, I, I probably identify more with the subjectivist than any. I want to be my own God. I want to be my own light. I want to make my own path. I don't want someone to tell me the way that things ought to be. I, I'm good enough. Maybe you're really great and the people around you just don't measure up. You're a smug saint. 
Imagine what our community would be like. Imagine what our relationships would be like if we took John's advice. If, if we, as, as a community, said, you know what? We're, the first thing is we need to be involved in each other's lives and learn to live with each other well, right? Then we would wipe out, we'd get rid of the spiritualists and the solo artists, or, or, or change, and tra- or if we're spiritualists and solo, solo artists, be transformed. And what if we as a community said, you know what, I'm going to sit around and I'm not going to look at all the things wrong with everybody else. Instead, I'm going to recognize that I myself am severely broken in some very deceptive, hidden ways. And so I'm going to spend my time worrying about that and not worrying about And for those of us who, who, who wish that we could just do it our way, if we could recognize the glory and the beauty of the light of God, the, the perfection of God's design, the perfection of God's way, the way that it, it encourages, us, encourages us to live a life of joy and glory and say, that's the way, that's the light. I'm going to live into that. And I'm going to stop trying to be my own lantern. I'm going to stop trying to forge my own path. Instead, I'm going to trust that God's good, glorious, loving path is better. I think that if we lived into that as a community, I think we would find the thing that we're all looking for. that sense of wholeness, that sense of love and being loved and sharing love, that, that sure recognition that our resources will be enough, that people are going to take care of each other, that we're all headed as one to glory. And when the Lord returns, we will not be ashamed at his coming, but instead we'll have confidence. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we acknowledge you as light in whom there is no darkness. We acknowledge that you have set the right paths and you have made it available to us to see how we ought to be, how we ought to live, what our hearts should be shaped like. And yet, God, we also confess that there's a part of us that that is or wishes to be one of the usual suspects. God, for any spiritualists and and solo artists, Lord, we pray that we will be fully engaged, embedded in this community or a a community that's close to us, just a community of faith, people who can shape us and, and that we can shape. God, for those of us who are secular successes or smug saints, open our eyes to see the the logs in our own eye, the places where we're just wrecked and messed up, where our hearts are corrupt still, and and, and draw us to confession, repentance, a recognition that that you're the one who saves us. It's, It's your son's blood that makes us right, not the way we're living. And God, for any of us who who secretly wish to be subjectivists, may we see and fall in love with your beauty, your light, and recognize that your light and your beauty is greater and more wonderful and perfect than anything we could create. May we happily, humbly live in your light and not our own. 
And may we share all these things with the world around us. That the community you desire may be made real amongst us, inside and outside of these walls. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.